Hello, and welcome to another fantastic and fabulous episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivate individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old-school wisdom and new tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about a framework for masculine development. So I know we have a good amount of women listening to this. Hi, ladies. But the overwhelming majority of my audience is men, mainly young men between the ages of 18 to about 34. And I think it's about 85% male. That's what the statistics analytics were telling me. Thus, I make a lot of my content geared towards that demographic. And this piece This episode will be exclusively towards that demographic. And a lot of my pieces can be perceived as gender neutral, but this one is strictly for the fellas. So, women, if you do have a special young man in your life, it may be worth sending this to him. So where do I start with this one? So much to say, so much to say. But the last episode was geared towards college grads heading out into the real world, quote unquote real world. And in that episode, I hinted on something that I want to bring up more so here. That is the fundamental nature of progression and self-improvement in life in general, especially as an emerging young man, especially. And I think it's important to get this because as a member of the male gender, it's so hard to know where you fit in in contemporary society. We live in a world where a man doesn't have to be the sole provider of a family or a world where only men can work or do certain things. And I don't think a man should only be slotted into specific places in society. I know women who are pretty badass and put some men to shame in what were traditionally men-only roles. However, I will go into the need for progression and development from boyhood to true manhood, which I think is important to understand. And understanding the stages of masculine psychological development and your place in them will more easily help you to relate to yourself and every other thing in the world. It helps you relate to work. It helps you relate to women. It helps you relate to other men, even for the more subtle and important things and decisions like, should you go to college or should you go into a trade? Should you take hard drugs or remain straight edge? Should you waste your time on certain activities or should you do something else? All of these areas, if you don't have a knowledge of yourself or some degree of self-awareness, it's very easy for you to make all the bad choices in all of these areas. All these choices that are not suited for your situation in life and your psychology. And a man who doesn't know who he is in relation to the world is an easy mark. He's an easy target. He's going to be tossed here. He's going to be tossed there. And he just isn't grounded. And it's this sense of grounding, this discernment that makes a man more attractive. So let's set the stage for this whole discussion, this whole journey. So a long, long, long time ago, way before you or I were even a sparkle in our parents' eyes, before any of the things we had today... A man was seen as the tip of the spear. 
He was the builder of society. He was the innovator. He was the protector, the warrior, all sorts of things. In this type of environment, a man had to develop himself to protect and provide for his family, for his nation. War and conflict was ever-present back then. It was just a reality of life. War was life. Everything in life happened in the backdrop of a war. All the history, all of the inventions, everything you learned about in high school history, it chances are that those were happening during wartime. And during these times of war, you needed people exclusively to defend the nation, the tribe, the community, the group. And these fighters were almost often men. In fact, they were pretty much exclusively men. For one, men have much more physical strength than women. An average untrained man has more physical strength than some trained women. Like some women who go to the gym, sometimes your average man, or many times your average man, will just have more base strength than a woman who goes to the gym. A a man is much taller than an average woman. Men are more aggressive than women. As a man you have like 10 to 15 times the testosterone that a woman does. So this is obviously going to have a large impact on your physiology, being bigger, faster, stronger, all that thing. And it's going to impact impact your entire disposition of life. Because of all these things I just mentioned, men are especially suited for physical combat, which was almost exclusively done either like close range got things like maces, clubs, swords, spears, etc., etc. And because war is a lingering threat or a present reality, a man had to develop some sort of strength, some sort of mental strength, physical strength, etc., mental toughness, to develop the grit that would keep him sharp and battle-ready. He had to develop that edge. And beyond that, in order to keep the nation or group battle-ready, Men who have been submerged into the waters of combat and the fires of life were tasked with raising the younger men to do the same thing. As such, you had these things called rite of passage that were developed. Because the truth is, you do not naturally become a man. You have to be forged into a man. You have to be made into a man. And the people of the past knew this. So they tamed and they funneled that raw boyish masculinity into becoming a young man through rites of passage. For example, think of the Maasai people in Kenya. Uh, They're still around today. Uh, A boy was considered a man only when he killed a lion with just a spear. Killing a lion with just a spear and you become a man. The Native Americans would send boys out into the wild on a vision quest for them to have some idea of what it takes to be a man. The Aborigines would send young men into the wilderness for six months in isolation. If they returned, they were men. Can you imagine being alone in isolation for six months? The Spartans would have boys kill another person before they were considered men. Could you imagine killing somebody with your bare hands at 10 years old? Now, there's rites of passage for women, too, of course, but these tend to take place within the civilization. The rite of passage for men is almost exclusively casting them out from the tribe or the group or the nation and forcing them to develop some sense of self-reliance. 
the question in the form of a challenge is, do you have what it takes to churn your inner resources and resourcefulness to be counted as a man who can defend, who can protect, who can provide? When they say, are you man enough? This is the challenge that people are putting down. Are you man enough to do what you have to do? Or do you have to have other people play the role of mommy or daddy for you like you were a boy? Can you be the pillar of the family during tough times? Can you defend yourself and other people? Do you have the grit it takes to stand up against other men who want to do harm to you or other people? So in this rite of passage, this casting out, these ancient civilizations knew that there was something inherently present in masculine psychology that requires this sort of challenge. They realized that there was a stage of development psychologically for a self-actualized human being, whether you're a girl or a boy, man or woman. They realized that there was a stage of development Just like physical growth, there's a mental growth, a psychological growth, a spiritual growth that needs to happen for a male to count himself as a man. Now, the reason I bring this up is because there are no real rites of passage today. And no one tells you that you need to progress through the stages of development to be a psychologically healthy human being. And I don't mean stuff like getting your first car or going to college or going into the workforce. These are all important, yeah, of course. And these are all things that shouldn't be overlooked. Being an independent driver is a step on the path, but it's not the path. Making out with a girl is a step on the path, but it's not the path. Getting into a top-tier college is a step on the path, but it's not the path. Stepping into your first job after you finish college is a step on the path. It's not the path. And when you start to believe that all these things are ends in and of themselves, when you start looking for external events to define you, that's when you start becoming wayward. You start becoming warped. You become very ineffective and impotent. You start defining your masculinity by how big your muscles are or how big your biceps are, how much weight you can lift, or how many girls you can bang, or how many football stars you know, or how much football you know. You start looking for peace in external things. And as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles. He said this in his essay on self-reliance, which I think is a cornerstone read for any man on the path. In that essay, he also said there's a time in every man's education when he comes to the conclusion that he has to take himself for himself and that nothing can come to him except for his own labor, except by his own labor. So you need to develop yourself. And you can only develop yourself to a degree that you understand and recognize the phases of masculine development. Now it's worth mentioning at this point how I found out about this specifically. When I was a younger man in my senior year of college, I came across three books, almost serendipitously, actually. These books were Mastery by Robert Greene, Way of the Superior Man by David Data, and King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. I've talked about Mastery before, and 
Mastery is a breakdown of how you go from being a novice in a skill to being really, really good at it. It's talking about stages, psychological stages of development when it comes to skill acquisition. Way of the Superior Man is a book looking at masculinity from a spiritual perspective. Some things in it were sort of, eh, but, you know, it's overall a decent book. I don't resonate with everything there, but I definitely respect David Data for breaking it down in terms of a more abstract view of masculinity that looks at little nuanced areas. So hats off to him for making that. Then King Warrior Magician Lover. It's this last one that I really want to talk about because really it's the most relevant out of the three for this discussion to me. This book looks at masculinity from a psychosocial Jungian psychology framework. The concepts in this book are derived from a modality that is known as Jungian psychology. Jungian psychology. That's because the authors are Jungian analysts. And that led me to the work of Carl Jung himself in diving deep into analytical psychology. In fact, I've done about three articles relating to Jungian psychology, and one of them is on shadow work, and that is the most heavily one of the most heavily trafficked pages on my site. It's crazy how many people are interested in this type of stuff. Uh, or maybe it's not so crazy. You know, psychology is a billion-dollar field because mental health and the psychology of the mind is becoming ever more forefront. People are going to therapists, counselors, all other sorts of mental healers because it's becoming more and more clear that the mind, the psychology of a person is paramount. Everything starts from the mind. But I don't want to go into a tangent, so let's get back to masculine psychology. So this book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, it really opened my eyes to the psychological path that an ordinary man goes through more or less. And it made me realize why I was seeing all these patterns everywhere, and it helped me to make greater sense of them. Bringing it back to Carl Jung, he calls these ever-occurring patterns archetypes. These are, like, think of them like primordial molds that appear universally across all cultures and all time periods. In King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, uh, Gillette and Moore frame these four archetypes as something as archetypal energy potentials within the male psyche. So each of these archetypes has a three-part structure that represents the archetype in its fullness with both immature and mature sides and the shadow of both those immature and mature sides. So when you fully access this archetype, it gives you power, mental energy, spiritual energy, psychological energy, because you're able to integrate all sides of it and actually integrate it into who you are as a man. And... Something key from this uh, reading and from this book is talking about boy psychology and man psychology. Boy psychology, you think that a man just grows up and he's not boyish anymore. And a true man doesn't lose the boyishness. The boyishness doesn't go away. What happens is you transcend it and you integrate it into who you are. So the boy's still there. It's just taking a back seat and it's accessible when the man needs it. Likewise, a man's shadow doesn't go away. It just gets integrated. It's supposed to get integrated. When it doesn't, 
uh, things go very, very wrong. All of the incredibly destructive parts of the masculine psyche that have been responsible for countless wars, senseless deaths, destruction of the planet, and the complete dehumanization of the feminine have come from the rampancy of the shadow side of the masculine. A collective masculine energy that just hasn't really been able to get its act together. Pretty much what is called the quote-unquote patriarchy is the destructive expression of immature masculine energy. Boyish, immature, shadow masculine energy. And destructive, immature masculinity is very scary. It's super scary. It's frightening. Because all it knows is self-gratification and destruction at whatever cost. It doesn't care about protecting people who can't protect themselves. It doesn't care about whatever consequences happen as a result of its actions. It just cares about satisfying basic primal urges. An addict, someone who is addicted heavily to drugs or sex or whatever, is operating from this type of energy, just the self-gratification at all costs. And collateral damage be damned. It doesn't matter as long as you get your fix. So in response to this um, very socially perverted energy, the world says, you know, let's just cut it out. The masculine is too destructive. Let's just get rid of it. So then you have all these culturally approved funnels where this masculine energy goes. And that's pretty much sports, porn, and video games. And of course, none of these are adequate to solely contain archetypal energy. So what happens is the shadow goes even more underground and it becomes even more perverse and distorted. You have the guys who constantly watch sports and gets involved in the sports drama, being obsessed with another man's success rather than their own. One of my old roommates was like this. And to be honest, he was a very one-dimensional person. And his potential got frustrated. You have the guys who are sexually obsessed, looking at porn, constantly looking for girls on Tinder. You have guys who are simping, you know, putting women on a pedestal, women they've never met before. You have guys who put all their free time and energy into video games because that's the only place they can conquer and command anything, feeling as if, That's the only place where they have a locus of control. They're very inactive in real life. So they put it into a virtual world. In general, without any sort of collective psychological guidance, you get a culture that creates what is known as a man-child. It's an adult male who is supposedly supposed to transcend these things and be a man who is effective in the real world But his potential got frustrated somewhere along the way, and he just hasn't psychologically grown up. And you've seen this before. You've seen this before in many movies, and many movies have talked about this. The extreme version of this is a basement dweller who plays video games and doesn't have a job and lives with his parents at 45 years old. That makes good TV, but life isn't so black and white. It's not so obvious. There's guys who fit within different variations of this. You have the guy who constantly cheats on his girlfriend or his wife and he doesn't give a damn about the consequences. Or you have the guy who will be nice to you in your face, but as soon as you turn your back, he'll talk shit about you and he may even stab you in your back. 
or do you have the balls to try to throw his weight around because deep down he's insecure? Or you have the docile yes man who agrees with everyone and never tries to push against points of view that are clearly wrong and destructive. Or you have the guy who spends all the money he was supposed to use for rent on a fat sack of weed or going to the bar or whatever. All these guys, all of them are expressions of the immature masculine energy that hasn't been potentialized into something that's creative and it's something that's destructive. And the sad part is many, many guys are operating solely from immature masculine energy. They try and compensate for their lack of masculinity by appearing larger than they are or just shying away from challenges in general. This types of things work well when you're a boy, but when you're an adult and you have to deal with things in an adult way using outdated molds of behavior, that doesn't work. And in the book King Warrior Magician Lover, Morin Gillette says that boyishness has a place. When you're making jokes, when you're out somewhere like the beach, horsing around, flirting with girls, that's where boyishness really makes a mark. But then there's another type of immature boyishness that's inappropriate in times when you need to be a man. Like I mentioned in the episode on the straight line philosophy, applying for a job, asking for the number, making more money, just minor parts of being an adult. So what happens to this immature nature? What should ultimately happen to its immature nature? Like I said, it needs to be integrated and transcended. It pretty much dies and gets reborn into something greater. It's an ascension in consciousness. Think of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's one example of dying and then being reborn. The hero dying and being reborn. Or Elijah ascending into the sky in a fiery chariot. Or the twelve labors of Hercules. Or Captain America, his origin story. Being one person now, a completely different version a couple months or a year from now. That evolution, that transformation. Undergoing the hero's journey to transcend the archetype of the hero and become something greater. In this case, with regards to masculine psychology, you always see the motif of the zero to hero archetype. You know that one where the hero of the story is someone who has very little power or he's unschooled in the ways of the world and then something happens and then he gets the call to adventure to save a damsel in distress or even an entire kingdom or nation. He meets mentors and companions along the way that helps him and he meets a final challenge before he completes this quest. That story, that myth has been explored so many times, countless times, and it's something people relate to and resonate with. Why? Because it's a archetype it's a human archetype everyone knows everyone knows that this sort of story is how heroes are made heroes don't just get a free pass to be a hero you need to earn that you need to go through the testing grounds the rite of passage before you're called a hero so here's a brief outline of how something like this would look from a hungian perspective the boy comes into the world as a baby he gives light and life to all he represents potential Like all babies, this boy is born into a certain family at a certain place at a certain time in a certain culture, so this becomes the backdrop to this boy's journey. Some boys are born in America to wealthy parents and an abundant life, and they're surrounded by abundance. Some boys are born to single mothers in the slums of Calcutta. That's the circumstances that this boy will have to grow up in and sometimes even overcome. So as this boy starts to emerge, 
begins to develop some of his own personality, some of his own inclinations, something that gives a hint as to who this boy is deep inside. Some boys may end up drawing a lot. Some may end up playing with Legos. Some may end up becoming very physically inclined. All of these point to some primal inclination that tells who that boy is. And Robert Greene talks about that in Mastery. So throughout this boy's education, he meets different people along the way. Some of these people become allies. Some of these people become enemies. Allies like the lifelong friend you meet on the first day of school or the wise old man who sees some potential in that boy. Or you've got the enemies like the school bullies or the people that try to undercut his blossoming success. Then comes the adolescent stage where this boy is slowly emerging into manhood. Things start to happen. He talks to a girl, asks her out, and she rejects him. Classes start getting more difficult. Maybe his parents get divorced. Then, of course, you've got all the hormonal changes that start coming online, all of the changes in general, and things that may then start breaking down. He gets introduced to drugs. He starts hanging out with the wrong crowd. His life starts to lose clarity. He loses sight of the straight line of the path. Some guys quickly bounce back. Some realize this is not their path. They realize that they're off the path and they need to come back. But some never do. Some stay stuck in this haze of pleasure and primal seeking self-satisfaction for years, maybe their entire life. Then that potential, that boyish light becomes extinguished. So looking back on my own life, I can clearly see how this archetypal foundation of king, warrior, magician, lover, and masculine progression is true, more or less. Without this becoming an autobiography of my life, I was just one of those boys who was a bright child. If you're a teacher, you love those kids who takes initiative, who's curious, who's able to grasp complex topics very fast, makes your job easier. That's what I had a knack for. I just had a knack for being able to learn and then do and then apply. I ended up taking the SAT in seventh grade, and I did better than 98% of people going to college. 98%. And this was a very early inclination as to where my strengths lie. And this helps me a lot in self-development. And my field, which I do, is marketing. So you need the ability in self-development and marketing to apply and learn skills very very fast. And keep doing this over and over and over again. If you can't learn and you can't apply, then those things are not for you. Uh, Actually, I'd say self-development's for everyone, but some people will have an easier time of it than others. Not saying self-development is easy by any means, but there are certain personality traits that make it easier, and I find that I have one of those personality traits. So that's one of my strengths. Every sports team that I was on, I got the award for most improved player. So again, self-improvement. At the beginning of the season, I wasn't very good. But as the season went on and ended, I ended up becoming one of the star players in different sports. And this inclination for most being able to improve myself physically and being able to apply uh, specific areas of weakness... That's what helped me get into bodybuilding and helped me completely transform my body when I got into it. And I was, and I am, good at reading people. I could quickly detect the emotional shift in a room. And I was very, I was a very empathetic boy. Uh, if you wanted to, if you're a client to, you could even call me an empath if you believe in that sort of thing. So 
This made me and makes me good at social intelligence and being able to resonate with others and build a good rapport. And that's why I have a lot of social connections today. Then I got into high school and high school was interesting because I went to an all boys school and if you know anything about all boys schools, then you know it's pretty much a Darwinian fight for survival and asserting dominance at a young age. What happens when you get thousands of emerging boys with different egoic combinations at different levels of development and you put them in a combined space? You get an all boys school and of course you get conflict. You get physical conflict, verbal conflict, all of it. I experienced all of it. And an all-boys school is interesting because it's an environment where it is, again, all boys and young men. And as and guys become very, very different when there are women around. And at the time, I didn't really like it. But looking back, it was an important experiment because it made me not define myself by getting validation from women. And you had all the guys who were trying to look fresh for women and all this nonsense in high school. Obviously, there was none of that at our school. And a good friend of mine says he sort of wished he went to my school because he wouldn't have to deal with all the nonsense and all the drama with attempting to please girls. So that really helped me a lot, especially when I went to college, because uh, when, I went to, when I got to college, uh, there were all these uh, girls who were trying to do all these tricks that, you know, adolescent girls play. And I didn't fall for any of them because I wasn't dependent on getting validation from these girls, these women, and it really took them for a loop. They couldn't understand how they couldn't crack the code of uh, Sim Campbell, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was in this environment, this all-boys environment, that I started to really investigate what it meant to be a man and be a young man, an emerging man. It was my first brush with masculinity against masculinity. I had to f- fight and claw my way to being respected as a man, as an emerging man by other emerging men as well. So that experience was very impactful on me, but I didn't realize it and I didn't contextualize it until later. So there's that. And I graduated there, obviously. I graduated literally and figuratively and then it was off to college, like I mentioned. And I developed a very survivalistic mindset in high school. That's just what I had to do to get through the day. And I took it into college and it helped me to a degree, but then I realized that I had to transform. I had to become slightly different. The template that I had in school would not help me in college. So it also didn't help that my first year was really, really rough. I had a close friend pass away Money was tight. Uh, Things were just breaking down in other places in my life. And I ended up sort of slipping into this sort of existential depression, if you want to call it that, where I just needed to feel something. I just needed to feel something. Then freshman year into my sophomore year, I got caught up in the revelry. I lost sight of the path. I became wayward. The boyish light diminished significantly. I became a hedonistic brute. I only cared about how good things can make me feel. And I would get moments of clarity and insight, but they would be quickly lost. Where could I get my next dopamine fit? Where could I get my next hit? I need to get that 
next fix. Either that or I would just spaz on somebody just because I need to feel that rush. I need to feel that that heat of of conflict, of the emotions. And like I said, I was an emotional person and I still am an emotional person. And it was very hard for me to keep that under wraps, especially when I was not uh, in my right mind. So I was becoming someone I hated because I knew that this wasn't me. I knew this wasn't me. I knew this wasn't who I was. But I just couldn't stop. It was just too, the lifestyle, the feelings I get were just too addictive. But then it all came to a head when I got into a fight with one of my roommates. There were four of us and the other two. This was just entertainment to them. So this other roommate, he antagonized me. And I was like a bull with horns. I can't remember... uh, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but we were all young and stupid. So we got into a fight. I ended up overpowering him and I slammed him into the wall where the wall cracked and made this massive crack from floor to the ceiling. It was like gigantic. It was, it was like someone put a hammer in the wall, right? Granted, the college walls weren't that strong, but still, it was just a massive overreaction. I could have broken the entire wall. I could have thrown him to the hallway and seriously injured him. And at the end of the year, we both agreed we were both stupid, and we both agreed to pay for it. And that's where I realized this was all too much. This madness was too much. If I continued on the road I was on, I knew it would be game over for me. I knew that for a fact. I knew that. So next year, I commuted to school, and I started on the hero's journey of self-development. I went on monk mode. I reestablished contact with that boyish light, that invigorating boyish light. Paradoxically, I also knew that I had to grow up. I knew that the life I'm envisioning for myself would not be achieved with this sort of stupid behavior. So that was when I was 19. I knew I had to graduate to the next stage. And the next stage was self-development. And I'm currently on that road of self-development, that phase of being a young man trying to assert himself in the world. And I know I'll graduate to another phase where obviously uh, that's going to involve different challenges and different uh, benefits as well. So unless you actively fight against this tendency to never grow up, you will remain stuck as an immature child. There's just too much downward pressure on someone's consciousness that's easier to remain an immature girl or an immature boy it's easier to destroy than it is to create. Entropy is working at all times. You need to struggle and fight and establish the building blocks of true masculinity. Again, it doesn't just come to you. You need to work for it. So how do you establish this? I think every man's path is different. And I think this is a discussion that cannot be put into just one episode of a podcast. But... I do have some six suggestions that I think you should seriously think about when thinking about yourself in relation to masculinity. And again, this is going to be different for each man. So I'm asking you to really be introspective here, especially if you are not an introspective type of person. Because I think this examination of who you are in relation to the world is important. 
So first off, you got to ask yourself, what do I need to do? What do you need to do in your life that will set you up to emerge into manhood? Realize that most, if not all of the time, this is an internal quest. It may require some external actions like traveling for a year or even getting jacked, but this is something that requires an internal shift in consciousness. The things that happen to you over your year in travel, how are you integrating and making sense of those experiences in your consciousness? The process to add muscle mass and become more physically fit, what is this teaching you about yourself, about pain, about discipline, about work ethic? You can't just buy a course or read a book or listen to a podcast and expect change to happen. If it did, we'd all be jacked, shredded, ripped, living the life we all want to live, but obviously that's not the case. These things require a fundamental change in consciousness. You can't be the same person you were at the start of it and expect to be different and become a new person at the end of it. You have to have a mindset shift. You shift from a mindset that is fixed into one that chases continuous growth because that's what the hero's journey requires. So ask yourself, what do I need to do and how soon can I do it? Secondly, you need to establish a perimeter. You hear about stuff like boundaries and making strong boundaries, especially when it comes to dating or work-life balance. But I think the word boundaries is too malleable in this case because boundaries will easily be crossed and even moved when the situations change or even when it's convenient. It's one thing to say no contact is your boundary when you break up with your ex. But then when you feel lonely or you have a moment of weakness and then next thing you know, you're on her social media page trying to figure out what she's doing or who's that guy in that picture or what she's doing now or all these justifications and rationalizations evaporate the boundary of no contact. As a man, you want to create a perimeter. Think about a castle. A castle has a moat. It has a perimeter. That perimeter doesn't change. It doesn't matter whether the castle is at war or it's not at war. The perimeter stays the same. The frame stays the same. This is really where that king energy, that warrior energy, really expresses itself. And if you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, again, you have to pick up the book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. There's so many things in life that will just encroach in your life and take over if you don't set up that perimeter. You're getting exposed to opinions every day. Even listening to this right now, you're getting exposed to my opinion. If you don't establish yourself in relation to these things, you're going to be able to differentiate yourself from them. So ask yourself, what type of life do I want to lead? And do certain things play a place in it? You need to determine what type of man you are in relation to your parents, your partner, sexuality, politics, spirituality, technology, so many things. So many things in our world that requires you to set up guidance and perimeter around yourself in relation to them. Ask yourself, what do you do when someone is getting just a bit too cozy with your significant other? What do you do when your bro sends you a link to a porn site? What do you do when your boss tells you to tweak the numbers on the end of your report just so it looks like the company did a little bit better than it actually did? What do you do when someone offers you a pill at a music festival saying, hey, try it, it feels good? 
What do you do when your friends stop at McDonald's on a road trip, but you don't eat fast food and you're on a diet? What do you do when you get a double order from something you ordered online and you only paid it, so you got a two-for-one deal? This strong perimeter, this gating, is a hedge against addictive and compulsive behavior, and there's so many things to be addicted to today. Many men do not have this fencing, do not have this gating, or it's incomplete, so they're lost. They let anything and everything affect their lifestyle, and they aren't able to dig in and make progress. There's nothing more sad than a guy who is lost, and he doesn't know who the hell he is, when this guy has a family, and a woman, a wife, who's hoping, praying, pleading, that this guy will become a man, somehow wise up and just magically become a man. But she becomes another mommy and he has to, and she has to play mommy not only to their kids but to this husband, to this man-child. And the funny thing is, this man is looking at this woman to teach him how to be a man. But a woman can't tell a man how to be a man. And again, looking to women for validation is why many men fail to grow up and fail to assert themselves. And you get two people who are looking at each other to help, looking at each other for the other person to solve their problem. That's not how a relationship works and how a relationship thrives. So this type of man has not established a perimeter in relation to himself and his wife or his children And he's just going with the flow, bro. And the only way to establish a perimeter in all of these areas is to, again, ask yourself what type of man you are in relation to all these things. What type of man are you in relationship to the different things in life? What are your values? Some people have stronger values than others. Some people were raised with stronger values than others. Some people were not. And I think this involves introspection and asking yourself, again, what do you want out of life? How do you want to show up in life? How you want to show up will determine your perimeter. So that's number two. Establish your perimeter. Number three is just get stronger. I'm personally of the belief that every man should be doing some form of strength training or engaging in a martial art or doing some type of physical activity where there is a resistance, there is an opposing force. We live in the safest era in human history, but there's still tons of crime. There's still tons of people who want to take advantage of anyone they perceive as weak. This often means women and children, but sometimes other men that can't defend themselves. Other men who can't defend themselves or their family, whether that be financially, spiritually, or even physically. Physically, do you honestly want to rely on a policeman or a bouncer or someone else to defend you? Do you want your life and the life of your family to be in the hands of someone else who isn't as invested in it as you are? If you're in the house and something goes bump the night, Who's going to be expected to take point? Your girlfriend? Your wife? (laughs) You need to get stronger. You need to get physically stronger, mentally stronger. You're the natural protector of the perimeter you set up. Use it to your advantage and get stronger. 
I had a friend that um, he didn't understand why you lift weights. He didn't understand why you need to uh, build your muscles up. He didn't understand why anybody would have a gun. He didn't understand uh, why someone would do martial arts. He thought it was all stupid. So then, again, I posed this question to him. I said, uh, what if someone robs your house and then the police doesn't show up or they don't show up in time? What if someone comes into your house and you can't defend your family? Um, What's going to happen? They're going to, I don't know, kill you, kill your kids and rape your wife and then kill her and then steal whatever they want from your house. Um is that what you want? And then he obviously didn't have anything to say about because the point was already made that even if uh, you're not necessarily the strongest guy in the room or you're not necessarily like a bouncer brute guy, I mean, being able to stand up against people who have ill intentions is important. That's just part of what's expected out of you as a man. So when I started strength training started resistance training at 20, there was a level that I unlocked, a new level that I unlocked. There was a level of physicality that I was missing. I noticed that when I bulked up, uh, when I became stronger, my words carried more weight and they had more tension because there was physicality backing them up. So that made me realize that, yeah, there's a physical presence there that when it comes to social interactions that uh someone who's gonna respect somebody who has like a solid pair of guns or pipes or whatever you want to call it or a thick ass neck or someone who just looks solidly built there's just an inherent level of respect there especially from other guys so yeah number three get stronger gotta get stronger That's what self-development's all about. So number four, I say you got to have a central organizing purpose to your life. What is there in this life that you can press all this raw masculine energy towards? What will increase your launch pad capital? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go and listen to the episode on that. I'll link it in the show notes. You need something that will give your life structure because once you leave school, there is no more structure except for work and outside of work. Many lives guys are completely disorganized because they haven't set up the perimeter and they also don't have a central purpose that gives the rest of their lives organization. Something as strong as self-actualization, seeing what you're capable of as your best can be a strong central purpose to aim for for some guys. I know it is for me. For other guys, it's a bit too nonspecific and even too general and they rather want something that's a bit more tangible, something they can immediately grasp their hands around, especially if they want to get some quick wins in their lives. They may want something like, I don't know, being free from compulsive and addictive behavior that causes the rest of their life to fall into a certain pattern. So I knew someone who broke an addiction to opiates, which for many people... People just stay addicted to opiates for life and they don't stop until they die. And I've known, fortunately, three people who have died from opiates. So uh, 
hats off to this guy I know who was able to stop that cycle of destruction. And this person I know, he was an absolute addict. The only thing he cared about after his addiction was how high he could get. And before he got addicted, you know, he was into the regular stuff that people are into, friends, sports, uh, dating, all that stuff. And uh, after addiction, the only thing he cared about was just getting high as the moon. So eventually this person got to a moment of clarity and he threw the rest of his pills away. He knew that he had to buck this trend. He cut off contact from his dealer. He stopped hanging out with people he used to use with. He went so far to move across town, get a new apartment. He decided to get counseling and he saw a therapist. He went through the motions of addiction, craving, and withdrawal. And he could have stopped there, but he took it even further. He developed in other areas. He started reading more books. He started getting to religious works more. He started going to bed earlier. He was in bed by at least, I think, 10 every night. And he stopped going out completely. Now his life complete, completely did a 180. Looks different many years later. He's working in a great field, has an awesome girlfriend, and he's just a more happy person. All from this central organizing purpose of quitting drugs, which still informs his life today, more or less. And he's using that as a foundation to accomplish bigger and better things with his life. He used that goal of reboot and recovery and quitting drugs to organize the system. He knew that inherently there were things that made him more likely to relapse. So he banished them completely and he created the perimeter in his life. And that informed what he did and didn't do. You may say some of this sounds extreme, but if you don't have that level of commitment, especially to quitting something like hard drugs, then you're going to fail and live an unstructured life. You're just not going to be able to have that mental discipline to funnel your energy towards something that has purpose. You're going to be a consumer rather than a creator. So that's number four, commit to an organizing purpose. Number five, I would say, is get around other men. I think you need to be around other men who have walked the path you're on, who have seen the story before, or contemporaries, peers, who are currently on the path that you're on now. I think that's vital. Now, I was raised by a single mom. My mom and my dad split up when I was young, and she had to raise me by herself for the most part. My dad was still in my life, but he wasn't there like I needed him to be uh, when I was growing up. And there were many times where I viewed it as him failing me. And this created a lot of antagonism between him and myself. And there were times that I'd become, became unnecessarily emotional. Like I mentioned, uh, just had a tendency to become wrapped up in my emotions. So, uh, this created an antagonistic dynamic between him and I, and there were things there was a time where things were really, really bad, especially during those years of darkness in college. Uh, and I sort of iced him out for the most part. Uh, but we're on good terms now. That relationship has been repaired. And uh, I developed a lot of empathy for him and his struggles because uh, during that time, he had a lot of things he had to face about himself as well. So, But at that time, my mom knew that my dad was 
offline, so to speak. So she made sure to get me around other men because as great as she was, she knew that she couldn't teach me how to be a man. She knew that. So I was around other boys, like I mentioned in an all boys school, other men in sports teams, other guys in sports teams. There were men's groups at the church we were going to. And as I said, I went to an all boys school. So I had that masculine presence around me all the time, even though I didn't have one at home. So you need to make sure you're soaking that up. That's, that's vital. And one of my mentors, a guy who's very successful by many worldly standards, he has a thriving business, gorgeous and loving wife, great kids, monetary success. Um, he can pretty much get to, a, he's pretty much at a point where um, he would just, let's say he wanted to take a week trip to, I don't know, the Amalfi Coast in Italy or something like that instantly conjure up the tickets, buy it, and wouldn't even put a dent in his pocket. So very successful guy. And he said something that really stuck out to me. He said that even though he's busy, even though he's involved with his clientele, being a good father, being a good husband, this, then, the other, involved in the outward expression of life, he said he's always making sure that he is around other men and strained by other men because he said iron sharpens iron. When he's a bit crooked, his guy friends straighten him out because there's only things that you can talk to other guys about and there's only things that other guys will hold other guys as a standard to. When other men are slipping, men, other men will hold those men up. That's what a brotherhood is about. And... Again, that's what I learned. That's one of the lessons I learned going to an all-boys school, that there's a brotherhood implicit when men and emerging men are at their best, when they support each other up rather than tearing each other down. So that brotherhood needs to make sure that it's sharpening the iron, ironing, sharpening, ironing. So number five, make sure you're around other men. Number six, I say you have to be willing to die. Now, I mentioned in How the Hero's Story, there's always a death that occurs. The hero dies and he's fundamentally reborn as a new being. And in order to step fully into this mantle of manhood, you have to be willing to die to your immature self. You can't let that be the central personality type you operate from. It needs to take a backseat. That boy needs to take a backseat because... Obviously, the boy can't be driving the car. The man needs to be driving the car, and the boy needs to be in the back seat. And in the episode on six things that keep you stuck, I talk about losing in order to gain or playing to win instead of playing to not lose. Again, since becoming a man is about dying to a former self, you have to lose these childish ways. You have to die to these childish ways. In the book of Corinthians in the Bible, it says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So what are those childish things for you and what are they being expressed by? I knew that in order to get to where I want to go, the thing that held me back was comfort. I knew that. I just enjoyed being comfortable. Too much, so much so that it was making me lazy, just doing things because they felt good. This was also the reason why I coasted in high school and early college because I didn't want to exert the effort to do the work. 
So one of the things among many that I did was I sold my video games and I gave them away. I used to be a massive gamer, so that was a big step for me. And that was something that made me comfortable. I took my Xbox, wiped it clean, and I just gave it away to Salvation Army. And then that was it. Sold my PS3, sold all my consoles, sold everything. Everything was gone. So there was a death there. There was a little death that led to a major death that led to a transformation to a new identity. So for you, you may not need to give up something like video games or comfort or Netflix or ice cream or whatever else you can think of. It may be something else for you. I know guys who are stuck in the fixation of lust and it prevents them from really connecting with uh, themselves, with other people, especially with another woman. So instead they retreat to the fantasy escapism of porn or they have some sort of sex addiction. I know some other guys who are completely reliant on their parents for their survival and well-being. Their parents pay their car, their rent, they give them money, so many other things. And these guys work normal jobs, so it's not like they don't have money, but somehow they just can't cut that reliance. I know guys who cannot properly express anger, or they always seem like they're a nice guy, but... They go and blow off their anger on internet forums or other online places, and that's where that anger goes. It doesn't go into any productive outlets like the gym or uh, focusing it, funneling it towards goals, real goals. So all these are unique challenges depending on your unique circumstances. Again, difference between the boy born in America versus the boy born in Calcutta. So that backdrop is going to inform what you need to transcend and what you need to overcome from your psychological uh, background from your uh, socialization from everything because everybody has different things that rear their head in their family dynamics or their um, the way they were brought up or there's something that there's a unique challenge that everybody needs to overcome and that challenge is different for every man so uh, and it's up to you to overcome them and transcend them so dying to this personality that you know so, so well and becoming different, something greater, that's part of the evolutionary process of becoming a man. So you become willing to play to win because you realize what got you here will get you there, wherever there is. And you realize that you have to travel the straight line, the straight and narrow path. You can't try all these tricks and hacks and all that stuff. Because you know that it's ultimately non-sustainable. The man knows that's ultimately non-sustainable. And when you become a man, you realize that you have to stop playing games and relying on these tricks, tacks, and all these other shortcutting methods to achieve a goal, especially if it's a very lofty goal. So again, like I said, I'm still on the path. I'm still traveling my own path. And... Uh, I still have a lot to learn. I still have a lot to do, and uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to see uh, where I end up in like 20, 30 years. We'll we'll see. Only time will tell, right? So in the end, it's worth mentioning, um, and I know this is a lot to take in, but this is the sort of work you have to do to become the man you want to be. You have to ask yourself how you want to show up in the world and no one can make that decision for you. Not your mom, not your dad, not your girlfriend. It's something you have to think about and you have to take the mantle on yourself and 
you have to decide that this is what you want. You decide that you're putting away childish things and you're stepping into the evolution and the task of manhood. And again, there's a bunch of responsibilities and there's a bunch of challenges there, but there's also a lot of benefits and it's a great, great way of living. And compared to, let's say, 10 years ago when I was still a relative boy, I definitely feel a lot better, a lot more secure in myself, and I feel like I'm a lot more ready to take on the challenges that life is going to throw at me. So it's a great, great place to be in, and I wish that all for anyone who's listening to this. So that's about it for this one. This one was uh, pretty in-depth, pretty long, Um, probably my longest episode yet but uh, I do think this has a lot of great content I hope that this gave you some value I hope this gave you something to think about on your journey to become the man you want to be so that's it for this one take care and I wish you the best in discovering what type of man you are in relation to everything else in the world Avita Saint take care hey guys Thanks for tuning in and listening in. I truly appreciate your support and your attention. It means a lot. If you like this content, go ahead and like the content. Go ahead and share the content with at least two other people you think would benefit. doesn't hurt to spread the good stuff around, right? And if you're listening in on iTunes, go ahead and rate the show with a honest rating. This will definitely help the show grow. And I truly appreciate your feedback. So until next time. Stay good, take care of yourself, take care of other people, and peace.